This is Intelligence Everywhere, where we chat with leaders across the tech world who are building the next generation of intelligence services and devices that will transform our lives at home, at work, and on the go. I'm your host, Rishi Kaitan. Today we're talking to a dear friend of mine, Paul Chen. Paul and I have known each other for about 10 years uh, since we were students at MIT Sloan Business School together. Today, Paul is the Global Software Director at Unique Electronics. Unique is a top manufacturer of drones. They make drones targeted at consumers that you can find at places like Best Buy, but they also make drones targeted at the commercial side of the market. In this interview, Paul and I talk about a variety of topics related to drones. What makes drones interesting is that they're a relatively early adopter of frontier areas of AI, such as perception and autonomy. You have the drones themselves that are becoming incredibly intelligent in terms of their ability to fly, as well as all the sensors that are being fitted to them. And then the data that is captured via drones is being used to solve real-world, real ROI problems across many industries, such as in public safety and construction. We'll talk a little bit about that with Paul as well. So without further ado, my conversation with Paul Chen. Paul, welcome to the podcast. Thanks. Thanks for having me. So I gave a, uh, I gave the audience a quick uh, sort of introduction uh, about you, but I'd love to you know just uh, hear in your own words, like what um, what you do at uh, Unique and uh, how you got here. Sure, yeah, I'm the global software director at Unique. Uh, so basically, I oversee all software product management and overall development across the company. Uh, we have multiple locations. Um, our main headquarters is in Shanghai, China. Uh, we have a very large factory, about 200 acres of um, facilities um, at about an hour outside of Shanghai in, in a town called Quinsan. Um, that's where a majority of our R&D happens. We have about 700 people there, including factory workers. And we have a research and development center in Zurich, um, Switzerland. And, you know, the history of that is the founder of PX4, uh, which is an open source flight stack. Um, he came out of um, ETH, which, which is one of the top universities in um, Europe and based in Zurich. So he helped us to establish that team there. We've got about 10 people there working on advanced technologies and research. Um, what, have, is, what is, sorry, what is, uh, what is uh, PX4? PX4 is an open source uh, flight stack. So what it does is it's the main operating system of a drone, right? It basically controls all the flight behavior um, and characteristics of the drone. Cool. Um, essentially, it'll, it takes all the sensor inputs. Um, you know, there's a, typically a GPS, a uh, barometer uh, for altitude um, and and other sensors and 
So to be able to do a very basic thing like hover in place takes a lot of algorithms, right? Mm-hmm. Because, you know, uh, the drone could potentially drift in any of the XYZ directions. So being able to know exactly where you are and which height you are, you need to be able to control the motors in such a way that you maintain the same position. Got it. Got it. Um, yeah, I mean, one thing... I'm. So anyway, I'm super excited to have you on the the podcast. Uh, I think uh, what's been uh, I think most of what I know, uh, or at least I've actually seen of of uh, drones, has been through you. And even just going, I remember the first time I saw Unique's uh, um, booth at CES. I thought it was like amazing. Uh, partly, I think also because I, it kind of dawned on me that drones are really the like when we hear talk about robotics. I don't know about you, but I've haven't seen, you know, whether it's, you know, the variety of sort of household robots or maybe robots in the factory. Those are not things that I come across every day. I think on the consumer side, it's I mean, outside of drones, consumer side adoption of robots has been, you know, pretty small. Right. It's a pretty small market. Uh, I think an exciting market, but a small market. Um, and then on the on the factory side, I mean, that's something that someone like myself doesn't really see on a regular basis. But drones is something that I think, you know, obviously you can go anywhere these days out to a park or whatever and you'll see drones. Um, and then obviously I think what uh, but what I, what I had not really seen before was like the these like legit like big drones that are, you know, very capable and that obviously are used more in professional or commercial uh, contexts. Um, so let's see. Uh, there was a couple sort of areas that I thought would be kind of cool to cover Um as it relates to drones, so uh, what first would be sort of just br- like broadly speaking about the devices themselves. Like I said, like I know a little bit about it, but I bet most people in our audience don't really know much about drones outside of what they've maybe seen at like Best Buy or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and then second is around sort of uh, the how the data from drones then is used to solve uh, you know a variety of commercial applications. So the term drones is a pretty, I would say, broad terminology. Uh, you know, there are military drones that mm-hmm. are unmanned and can, you know, fire missiles, right? I guess when we talk about drones, we talk about what we call UAVs, unmanned aerial vehicles. Mm-hmm. Uh, and for, for us uh, specifically, we have uh, three categories of drones. Uh, one... The first is obviously consumer, uh, the ones that you could find at Best Buy. Um, we also have larger uh, prosumer drones, and these are mainly for uh, professional photography use or videography. And our last category is commercial drones. These are the ones that are used for enterprises or um, you know, any industrial applications. And what are the uh, what's like the the key difference between those uh, those different segments of drones? Uh, a, a big difference is the portability. With consumers, they don't want to be you know lugging around right. a, a big device when they travel, right? right. For, for example, so I think what's become popular in the consumer drone space are small foldable drones that you can fit in your backpack mm-hmm. or your camera bag, for example. 
And obviously with portability is, you know, lightweight. Uh, you know, the camera just needs to be good enough, right? I mean, nowadays, most of the drones are 4K cameras. Mm-hmm. Um, Even on the, 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 the low-end side? Yes. So now you can find, you know, sub around $500 drones that have 4K cameras. Got it. Actually, that was my next question, which is, uh, so from sort of the consumer, prosumer, and commercial, like how much roughly is like the, the prices between those segments? So I would say with consumer, it's probably, you know, $700 and below would fall into the consumer space. Okay. Uh, you know, you'll find the, you know, Mavic Air, the Mavic Pro around that price range. Um, and when you move up to prosumer, um, you know, there are larger quadcopters like the Phantom 4 Pro, um, those are typically in the thousand to two thousand dollar range. Okay, and the so the quadcopter is that for does that give you more like what is that more like stability or more speed or like what is the advantage of that? Yeah, typically the more rotors you have, the more stability you'll have. Uh, you know, in terms of uh, wind resistance. Okay. Um, as well as you have some level of redundancy built in. Um, I think four is a very popular number, just you know, for the cost and weight trade-offs. Um, most of the time, you know, you mainly find quadcopters. Uh, a unique our uh, commercial product actually has a six rotor design. Uh, that's a you know our from our original Typhoon H product. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the we found to be very popular. Got it. Yeah, I think you might have sent me a photo of that one. And it looks like a beast. <laughs> it looks awesome. Um, okay, so we talked about like the photo, obviously. Uh, or so we talked about the camera. Um, but like, what are the what are the types of sensors uh, that a or I should maybe I should ask the question differently. Uh, what's the kind of data that uh, like primary data that a drone can um, can sense and I, I i guess probably for the context of this probably on the highest end so on the commercial side yeah so right now there's a lot of value in the payload right because you know with with consumers it the drone is essentially a flying camera you know with the camera obviously you want you know high resolution high megapixel um cameras um for for commercial, you also want high resolution as well, uh, especially if you're doing RGB image capture. There are other use cases that require non-RGB use cases, so things like thermal imaging. For agriculture, getting multispectral data is, is very important. What is a multispectral? It, it collects different wavelengths of... Um, of data so it's mainly used for uh, plant health uh, because mm. having the uh, the the, le- the chlorophyll and leaves will, will kind of reflect different wavelengths so oh, wow. you want to be able to collect that data to sense um, you know, how well your crops are doing okay and are those by the way um, sensors like modular 
So that's that's the goal of the platform design, right? We we create subsystems that can basically be hot swappable and plug and play. So for for our flagship product, the H five twenty, we we support currently three different payloads where you can hot swap, and that's the okay. idea going forward is that the customer does not need to buy you know completely different airframe just to to use a specific sensor or payload that they can pick and choose the cameras they want and be able to swap them in and out. Got it. And what are some like a new sense, like new uh, sensors that are sort of coming? So I would say that the three I mentioned are the most common. Um, There are very specific use cases where you want to detect, let's say gas leaks, you know, Mm -hmm. methane or some sort of, chemicals that you would have a very specialized sensors for those situations we believe having a platform approach is is the better go-to-market strategy because we can create the platform for third parties to to i see that makes sense that's really cool um so you guys obviously i mean i'm sure people once you create a platform third party Manufacturers may come up with all kinds of crazy sensors, but I mean, I guess anything at the end of the day, as long as it meets the the, the weight and the, the battery, you know, parameters could in theory be um, sort of attached onto a drone. Yeah, and we've also seen in even public safety, they've attached these big uh, speaker phones on it if they want to <laughs> be able to broadcast sure. something. Yeah. And also these big spotlights in order to kind of do some sort of search and rescue in the dark. Well, the, what about the uh, the Intel show, right? That was at the Olympics, right? That was, uh, that's, that's, those are drones, right? Yeah. So those are, um, you know, it's called the shooting star. It's, it's very lightweight and purpose built for mm-hmm. entertainment so that it's essentially carrying a big LED light. Got it. Yeah. I thought that was, uh, um, I, when I saw that, I actually, I didn't even occur to me like how they were actually doing this. <laughs> and, then, and then I think you had, uh, you know, mentioned it was it was drones, and uh, um, and I thought that was, uh, um, I mean, again, just a totally different dimension of how you could actually use a drone right, for entertainment. Um, that that was uh, that was really cool to see. Um, maybe just actually one more question about the, uh, or I mean, a couple more questions about the devices. Um, so. Like, what are the key ways that drones, like the devices themselves, have evolved like over the last uh, few years? Yeah, I think even four or five years ago, it was hard to find any real integrated drones, right? You, all you could find on the market was mainly remote control planes, essentially, that you know had no camera feedback. You could manually control it through the RC remote control Mm -hmm. channel. Um, But beyond that, you need to, you know, keep your eye on the plane the entire time. I think the one of the big innovations in the past couple of years through kind of smartphones and components was to be able to integrate sort of the communication link onto the drone. So now you have um, you know, these high resolution cameras that could feed back live telemetry and video feed. To oh, live. I see. To okay. User. 
and and you know having this link um, you know not only um, you know distance wise but also having high reliabilities and, and low latency right so you can essentially you know see where you're going even if you cannot see it uh, with your bare eye got it and then like what about the uh, um, navigation capability of a drone right so if you think of a drone there's you know essentially two inputs into navigation there's the manual control where the pilot is kind of using the joysticks to provide navigation input it, although it's not purely manual it's it's assisted right because let's say the user is not touching any sticks the drone should be able to hover in place got it okay crash right so um so that would i would say is the main kind of control mode for for drones in the early days i think nowadays we have something called mission control there's a a piece of software that allows you to pre-plan missions uh, and missions are essentially waypoints uh, basically gps coordinates of you know where the drone should be flying okay next right so it's uh it's a pre-planned route mm-hmm. and during the route it can do many different actions uh, for example trigger the camera or turn the gimbal a certain direction right and um, and that's how you really you know create these self-guided missions where you can you know upload the mission to the the drone and basically tell it to start and it'll do its thing and fly back and how much like in, how much uh, intelligence is involved in, um, in in like the movement of a drone, right? So I guess both in terms of creating the mission plan, but then also just a like a you know like I've I've heard of terms like object avoidance, for example. So if the drone runs into something, like how, yeah, like so where does uh, where does sort of intelligence fit into that? Yeah, a lot of it is you know, the sensor fusion, right? Getting all the data from all these different sensors I mentioned, you know, the barometer, the IMU, the accelerometer, the compass, the Mm -hmm. GPS, and being able to make decisions based on, you know, the, how the drone perceives where its environment and, you know, where it is in the environment. Um, You know, that there's, uh, a, a core algorithm for autopilots called EKF, um, extended common filter. I think that's kind of the core algorithm that mm-hmm. determines how to send signals to the ESC, which is the electronic um, controls for the motors. So that, that, I would say, is the core system. And beyond that, um, if you want to do things such as object avoidance right mm-hmm. then you're taking basically another input into the um kind of the core uh navigation system got it and uh so that type of like maybe i don't know if you call it like auton like autonomous movement or autonomous navigation um is that developed by unique or is that developed by um are there companies that actually standalone companies that only focus on that? 
So we built all our own motors and the ESC um, components. So we actually sell that. Uh, we will OEM that to other manufacturers. So for example, Intel Shooting Star uses our motors for their drones. Um, so for the core algorithm itself, it's based off PX4, which I mentioned mm-hmm. is an open source stack. Um, so we, we've kind of customized the stack for our own hardware, right? For, for many of these open sources, you know, you can't just use it as is a lot of it has to be tuned and uh, customized to your hardware all of the parameters need to be adjusted in order to you know get the best performance okay and uh can so can drones real-time adapt like can they react and change course uh, or change behavior in some way in response to some sort of observation that may be unplanned yeah, so I think what you're talking about is now, you know, beyond kind of the core flight control um, is the autonomous um, navigation system. Mm-hmm. And that's another sub-system that's kind of just starting to kind of appear in drones, right? If you look at the Mavic Pro 2, that's when, you know, they started to integrate, they call omnidirectional avoidance. Where okay. They have uh, stereo pairs of cameras on every single side, uh, including top and bottom, in order to avoid. And and the technology behind this is similar to self-driving cars, right? Being able to do SLAM, which is basically computer vision and, you know, being able to create a map of the environment and know where... The drone is in the location of this map right and and being able to do that being able to know its own context within a local map that's how it can decide you know how to plan its motion or path to avoid objects that are coming towards it or or if it's approaching objects okay got it and then, like, what's uh, next for drones in terms of intelligence? So we talked about, like, you know, you talk, we talked about, like, the navigation and, and how in real time they can adapt um, using, like, computer vision. But, like, um, like, one question, actually, even specifically is how much, how much horsepower is there? Like, and sort of, like, I don't know whether it's, like, you know, like a, a GPU horsepower or any sort of just computing horsepower in general. Like, how much horsepower actually ex- is, is on a drone? So typically, if you're doing some kind of visioning positioning system, you need to have um, enough computation to 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 run a lot of image processing, mm-hmm. right? And typically, it, that's you know for GPUs. Although there are very specialized chipsets that can also do this. For example, Movidius, which is a company that was just acquired by Intel. Um, so were they, sorry, were they, uh, were they, is Movidius, was that a, so were they a, like a chip company or a? Yeah, Movidius is a, I would say AI chip company that specializes in, uh, you know, processing for computer vision. Got it. Okay. 
you know, and you could also use a more beefy uh, NVIDIA Jetson, which does can also uh, perform uh, some of the uh, depth sensing mm-hmm. and processing, but it, it is probably overkill for just that one function. So a lot of uh, or companies do look at GPUs if they want to do more onboard intelligence, such as deep learning or, you know, object recognition as well. Got it. So do you think, like, that's the future? Like, will we see more computing um, on the uh, on the drone itself? Or do you think, I mean, I guess there's a flip side. The alternate, I guess, view could be that maybe that no actually connectivity will be way better. And so, you know, actually the, the drone will actually just keep, uh, have just have, have a persistent connection with the cloud and the cloud's really um, doing the heavy lifting. That's a great question. It's hard to say. I think there's going to be both just because depending on the application and the requirements, right? Same with uh, smart cameras, right? Some that does a lot of edge computing and some are super lightweight, right? And, and for drones, that's where kind of the future is going is to have it pretty much be a IoT device that's connected to the cloud, right? Where mm-hmm. you can uh, be able to do remote um, control and um, management through uh, from anywhere in the world. Um, but for things that require real-time processing, mm-hmm. if you're flying, let's say, 50 miles per hour, you want to have more onboard processing for you know, things like obstacle avoidance. Got it. Does that actually coincide with uh, long-range drones? Um, Because my understanding today, most of the market is, like, relatively short-range, right? So they can be, like you said, like, uh, connect, uh, whether it's uh, navigated through, like, Wi-Fi or through, like, an assistive, you know, through a system method, like, through a remote control. Um, But also, I imagine if it's short, then you you have the Wi-Fi connectivity, but for long, when if you send a drone out to some long distance, it's got to really start to think for itself. Yeah, so I think there's a couple of kind of barriers to to what they call beyond visual line of sight flights. Mm-hmm. One is definitely regulation, right? You know, with FAA right now, you need to get a special waiver to fly beyond line of sight. And I think that that is probably going to be one of the challenges of getting a fully autonomous system you know let's say for delivery so it requires a you know companies with deep pockets in order to kind of make this happen right Got it. Um, and and the second is battery life right for all the drones i talked about we we're using you know still um you know the lithium batteries so um you know, it's hard to find a drone that has probably over 35 minutes of flight time right now. So oh, I see. need to, you know, find some way to charge in the air or how <laughs> to yeah. stop batteries in the air. <laughs> that's okay. I didn't realize that. 35 minutes. That's actually, I mean, that's, I mean, I don't know. Maybe it's, uh, if, on the one hand, I feel like it's not that long. But on the other hand, I suppose it's actually maybe reasonably reasonably long i mean i'm sure you can cover quite a bit of distance in 30 minutes in the air 
Yeah, I think for most applications, it's it's good enough. I mean, for things like surveillance, maybe you want to have a tethered drone that can stay up there for a long time. Right. But if you're just collecting data, I think, you know, 30 minutes has been definitely good enough given the restriction of flying beyond line of sight. Gotcha. And you also have to remember that there's a trade-off between weight and um, distance, right? The more weight you put on it, the, the, the lower your battery life is going to be. So then you need to compensate with even larger batteries. Yeah, that makes sense. All right, cool. Well, shifting gears a little bit to talk about, um, so, you know, we talked about a ton about device, the drone, the device itself, and, and that was super helpful. Um, but talking about like, okay, so now I've got a drone in the air and it's, you know, I'm, I'm using it for some purpose and it's collecting data. Like, how do you get data off of a drone? Yeah, there's many ways. Uh, I think one way is, you know, kind of the, the old fashioned way where all the data is saved on an SD card. When it lands, you would pop out the SD card mm-hmm. and transfer it to your computer and then to the cloud. Okay. Uh, you know, nowadays, all most of the drones also support wireless transfer. So, you know, you would connect to um, via Wi-Fi to the drone and be able to transfer it wirelessly through through SDK. How many of the applications are more like real time versus it's meaning that like I'm going to get data off the drone and immediately I'm going to use that to inform some some response versus more just kind of like you know predictive or reactive sort of stuff where it's more of a long time range so I'm going to get the data off the drone and then some significant amount of time is going to pass before I use that data. Yeah, I would say time is money. So obvious. So people prefer to have everything in real time. But I guess reality today is that with some of this photogrammetry that requires stitching, um, takes just a lot of processing power, right? And and for that, you know, right now you have to load all the data mm-hmm. to the cloud or, or locally to a, a computer and kind of run those algorithms. Um, I guess for for those applications, real time is, is not required. Uh, for example, if you're trying to create a 3D model of a building, right, mm-hmm. you don't need to have it right now. But for us, we focus a lot on the public safety space right now. And a lot of it requires some sort of real-time data. So, for example, if you're doing search and rescue, right, mm-hmm. you want to be able to look at the feed in real-time mm. and try to, you know, decide, you know, where to where to go search. You know, things like surveillance, you want to be able to, you know, track objects of interest or people of interest and be able to potentially follow them. Um, that's cool. Yeah, I mean, those are probably the more like sexy applications. Where I mean, I'm just imagining like uh, I think I was watching uh, this new Amazon show, Jack Ryan, over the weekend, and uh, there was a scene where they you know have a drone. And it's like literally um, seeing people. I think it's using like an infrared camera, and uh, it's like object detection, and they're using that. There's actually some person monitoring that, and then telling the you know the soldiers like where to go or whatever in the scene, and like that kind of stuff. I think is. Is amazing, but I imagine that uh, 
it's it's not that easy to do uh, like to get everything all hooked up to actually do the sort of uh, real time um, sort of real time monitoring or real time processing like um, I don't know I guess would you agree with that or and if so like what are the challenge like what are are there any sort of unique challenges around uh, the processing like setting up sort of the data pipelines yeah I think for right today most of the Processing is still done uh, by humans, so they someone would look at a live video feed and, and make decision based on that. Mm-hmm. Right? I think in the future that could change, you know, with face detection algorithms and um, other type of kind of machine learning, right? And I think that's where the onboard computation comes into play, right? If you want to be able to, let's say, follow someone, if you detect a face and you want to follow this person around, Mm -hmm. I think that would require having these face detection algorithms running on the drone itself. Oh, okay. I see. So I guess maybe like in a a, a public safety, like a surveillance uh, application, I guess today uh, there's a drone and there's a person watching uh the the sort of the 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 footage from this drone and um and then it's up to the human to take whatever action that's desired versus maybe in the future the device itself could basically maybe tell the device hey i'm looking for this person here's their photo and then it could uh look for it and then if it finds it could then start following them or something like that and it doesn't require a human maybe to do that Yes, and there are these concepts of command centers today where live feeds will go into a command center and you can have some kind of coordinated approach to doing, let's say, search and rescue. You have, you know, multiple drones in an area and you can, you know, from a command center, direct pilots to search in a specific area based Mm -hmm. on, you know, how many drones are in the area. Got it. And um, so we, we talked about like public safety. Uh, what are the what are the sort of the other popular commercial applications or like industries that are embracing drones? Yeah. So the the other one we're looking very closely at is construction. Mm-hmm. Um, more broadly, it's called AEC, uh, Architecture, Engineering, and Construction. Okay. And I would say that's a you know very hot space right now. Um, you know, for things like project management, being able to track status of these big construction projects. Um, we are announcing a, a large partnership this week uh, at Interdrome. And this company we work uh, you know, our partner, they are actually helping with the construction of the, the two new Uber headquarters in San Francisco. So, you know, they have drones that go fly this site uh, pretty mm-hmm. much every day to get a, you know, kind of snapshot on the progress of the work and, you know, whether things are going to plan. Got it. So in the, in the, in the like, for example, in the, um, in this construction uh, application, is it primarily then the camera on the drone that is being utilized? Yeah, for construction, it's mainly just taking imagery sometimes uh, videos can be helpful to tell the story mm-hmm. uh, what's also very 
important in construction is precision. Um, what I mean by that is to have the location um, to be centimeters of the actual GPS location. So oh, I see. You can do things uh, like overlay CAD drawings. Got it, got it. That's uh, on, super cool. On these um, 3D models that you generate. Yeah, that makes sense because it's almost like uh, I'm thinking like, you know, labeled data, right? Like if you have a, uh, let's say a blueprint or maybe even a rendering of what this thing is supposed to look like, right? And now you're seeing, you're taking a photo of what the, what it actually looks like right now. I, it d- doesn't seem crazy that you could have then um, a model which says, okay, this is, these are the areas that are missing or this is the flaws or this is uh, the gap that exists between what it is today and what it needs to be and, and maybe even translate that into a, a time estimate or, or tasks that are done or not done. Exactly. And, and you know, that that's what drones are used for surveying areas even before things are you know, foundations laid and, and kind of mapping out the area. Mm-hmm. And, and also, like you said, uh, you know, there's a whole industry called BIM, uh, Building Information Management, that deals with, you know, whether um, buildings are built to plan um, and making sure you catch mistakes before they happen or earlier in the process. What are, maybe what are the characteristics of a of an of a of a problem where a drone um, makes for a good solution? So for drones, it you know because it's automated, it takes out the humans in in the process, right? Mm-hmm. So for, for things that are dangerous, um, or it could be a you know hazard to humans, it's it's a great replacement. So. You know, for example, being able to inspect cell phone towers, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you don't need to have someone, you know, climb all the way up there. Right. Um, even for insurance and roof inspections, right? A lot of times they send people up on the roof to take photos to make sure, you know, kind of assess the damage, mm-hmm. right? You could send in a drone to do that. In dangerous situations like wildfires, right? You, sending a drone to assess the situation before you send people in there got it so that sounds like it's a, so instead of sending a human to record some data like a fo- take photo now i can send a, a, a drone and and basically get that same data and obviously that saves time it saves a human um risk uh as well uh that makes yeah, that makes yeah and a big sense. part is also cost reduction right so if Let's say for in agriculture, you want to survey, you know, some big crop area, you know, instead of, you know, chartering flights to do that, you could have drones basically fly every day for, you know, less than one tenth of the cost. Right. right? And usually chartering flights is takes time and it's a very expensive process. Actually, I'm glad you brought up cost reduction. So um, one of the questions that uh, I've been curious about is, so you talk about some of the, the different industries that are adopting uh, drones. What is the, what have you seen as like the business case or how, maybe how mature is the business case around some of these applications? Like, is it more like early where, you know, just you have customers who are just kind of 
they've heard about drones and maybe they have a rough idea of, of how they want to use a drone and they want to experiment? Or is it relatively mature in the sense that like there's a clear ROI business case that could be outlined? Yeah, and some of the verticals I mentioned, it's I would say it's fairly mature, right? Things like agriculture, um, it's been around for quite some time. Um, industries like mining, cinematography, insurance, it's very... I would say quite mature in that sense of adopting drone technologies. I think the growth now is more in enterprises where, you know, you have large enterprises looking at ways to leverage drones, whether it's as a data acquisition tool or to, you know, improve some business process. and for that, you know, they might need very custom hardware and custom software, right? Okay. And that's where now you will see more companies that are almost, like I would say, consulting-like to provide the right platform for mm-hmm. these applications. Uh, we're also seeing new applications around indoor flights, uh, you know, being able mm. to take inventory of a warehouse, for example, or provide some kind of safety inspections in a big factory. I think that poses its own set of challenges now that you might not have GPS as a way to kind of, you know, geolocate where you are. I see. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, interior, I mean, indoor uh, applications, I imagine, is a there's probably tons of opportunities in there as well, right? Because like, I mean, if you think about even like a typical factory, I mean, that's manufacturing, which is obviously a massive multi-trillion, like a trillion dollar industry that's primarily done indoors, right? So uh, I imagine being able to deploy a drone to do a variety of different tasks indoors could be could be a massive set of, of opportunities. Um, what are some next industries? So you mentioned you mentioned a few industries. Are there any industries that you think are on the horizon that uh, you think maybe aren't active with drones today, but you think in the next five to ten years will be? I think the big one is delivery, right? You know, you, you hear about a lot of companies working on deliveries like Amazon and Google, right? Google has their Project Wing, which supposedly is is going to be delivering pizzas, right? As a as a beta. Mm-hmm. You know, trial um, you know Amazon's already starting to deliver packages in, in certain restricted areas right in, to your backyard right um, so I think what you see with you know autonomous cars and you know I think delivery is probably kind of the next step in um, drones you know, you know not just being able to take imagery uh, but it being able to you know, perform some kind of action, right? mm-hmm. whether that's, you know, lifting right. uh, objects. Um, you're seeing drones are more capable of uh, larger payloads. So in agriculture, they can even be used to spray fertilizer or pesticides. Now. So I think, you know, I think having more intelligence on board will also enable it to perform more human-like tasks, right? If you can you know, attach some sort of, you know, gripper or hand-like device, you might be able to, you know, even perform repairs that are in, you know, hard to reach or high places as well. Got it. 
Um, I guess just the last couple questions. Like one, uh, one question um, would be like, what is the, let's say like a, a company, you know, came to you and said, hey, we want to, uh, you know, deploy drones to go solve some tasks that we need. Like, let's say it's, we want to find like rust across like the Bay Bridge or something like that. Um, look, how do you, what are the big levers in terms of like the invest, like the amount of dollars investment that's required to actually go and um, sort of run a project like that? Well, typically for infrastructure inspections, there it's something that's already being done. So okay. there's some sort of process, some backend software that, you know, that that's already happening, right? Whether it's, you know, these inspectors coming, taking photos, and then in the end of the day, creating a long report, right? With, you know, certain you know, highlighting certain areas, right? So that can all be automated with, you know, backend software. So for for Unique, we focus on more, you know, delivering the hardware package, right? And we partner with, you know, third-party analytics software companies to be able to provide the end-to-end solution, right? So for most tasks, I would say you need more than just hardware, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we provide a mission planner that does very generic tasks, but if you want to, you know, kind of get to your end goal of getting analytics and insights, you would also need, you know, kind of we call backend processing software to be able to take all the data that we collect from the drone and be able to um, analyze it and come out with the insights you're looking for. Got it. Okay, so that makes sense. So obviously, the more custom the either the data you want to collect or the, how you want to process it, the more custom that is, the more I guess custom development you're going to need to do, and obviously the price goes up. Right, and I think that's where you know you'll see more kind of common applications. Um, you know, there will be solutions that will kind of. Um, target those applications like inspection right you mm-hmm. have you know there are software vendors out there that provide analytics on um you know detecting rust or corrosion or anything cracks for infrastructure right because mm-hmm. it's such a big industry got it and i imagine companies are whether they're consulting they look like consulting companies or they look like software companies are popping up in all of these sort of uh, different um, industry verticals to tackle these specific problem areas correct and and you know for us we want to focus on on the ones that you know we think have the most potential first um and you know i think for each of these verticals there are slightly different hardware requirements that you need to consider right as i mentioned for construction uh, there's a very popular uh, technology called rtk uh, real-time kinematics that mm-hmm. allows you to triangulate GPS signals with the help of a base station to get centimeter accuracy from GPS. Um, so those technologies, you know, you would have, you would need to have uh, another GPS receiver on the drone in order to, oh, I see. to enable this feature. Got it. Got it. Uh all right, cool. Um, I, that covers uh, all the, the questions I had. Um, 
uh, just it's been super helpful, both again, like to understand uh, the sort of evolution of the drone devices themselves, but also getting some insight into what it takes to get uh, data off the off the drone and then kind of turn data into insight. Um, super helpful. Um, yeah, thanks so much for for joining me on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. And you know, just you know, as a, a plug, you can you know go to unique com and check out the different devices we have you know we are launching our mavic competitor this week at best buy it's a foldable travel drone that is perfect for you know taking selfies or um, mm-hmm. just aerial photos when you go on vacation and it starts at 4.99 and it's a great little drone to have with you okay and you said that's launching um this week you said it's this week you can purchase it already on our website direct got it and actually on the on the on the partnership side are there any like kinds of companies that you are uh, excited to meet yeah well i mean we've done a partnership already with pix4d they're the most popular drone photogrammetry tool Mm -hmm. today we are announcing another one this week at interdrone so um I can tell you more once once that's published. Sure. Um, in general, we want to go after all the public uh, tools, the, the very popular tools out there. Uh, one that we, we are looking very closely at is Drone Deploy. I, I would say they are probably the most popular in the U.S. for just general uh, drone uh, photogrammetry and stitching as well. Got it. All right, cool. Well, yeah, thanks again, uh, Paul. And uh, yeah, I look forward to seeing more announcements from Unique. Thank you.